Welcome to the Design for Voice podcast. Here's a quick highlight from this episode. Exactly. I always tell people, you know, design is an investment up front. It does take time, but it'll be less time and also less expensive than if you have to rip out your code and start over. Today's topic is design is essential. My guest today is Kathy Pearl, who is the head of conversation design outreach at Google. She's also the author of the O'Reilly book, Designing Voice User Interfaces. She's been designing and creating voice user interfaces for nearly 20 years and is passionate about helping everyone make the best conversational experiences possible. Previously, she was VP of user experience at Sensely and has worked on everything from programming NASA helicopter pilot simulators and designing conversational iPad apps with Esquire Magazine's style guides. She has an MS in computer science from Indiana University and a BS in cognitive science from UC San Diego. In the show today, we talk about how design is so important for voice because we are conversational beings as humans, and it also comes with a lot of emotions. So we look at what poor design is like, what good design is like, and how you can get into a good process to develop positive designs on your own, whether you're a small uh, team or an individual, all the way up to a large corporation, as well as looking at how will you validate and know that you've done a good job building apps. So without further ado, let's get to the show. All right, welcome to Design for Voice. Today's episode, we're going to be focusing on design is essential and uh, complexities of why designing for voice is so much more important uh, than a lot of people may realize. Uh, And today I have with me Kathy Pearl from Google. I'd like to let you introduce yourself and share a little bit about you. Sure. First, thanks for having me on. Um, So I've been working in this field of voice user interfaces for quite a while. I got my start back in the late 90s working on phone systems, IVRs, and um, we actually learned a whole lot of stuff back then on the right way to design these conversational experiences. And it's been fascinating to me to see the progression and the evolution of this technology to where we are now with things like Google Home um, and figure out sort of which of those lessons we learned about how to design can best apply to today's tech. Awesome. So you've got a lot of experience in not just the kind of current trends of personal assistance, but in the historical, you said you got like 20 some years of experience in voice over different types of experiences. And I want to lean on that a little bit today because we can see a little bit about the history of voice and the technologies and design patterns that have been developed. And some people may think that this is all new world discoveries that we're trying to come up with these new patterns and things for these personal assistants. But in reality, there's a bit more to it that we've learned some things along the way. So I kind of want to dig into that uh, a little bit. And kind of the first question to that end is to look at something that people might be a little more familiar with. Uh, We're going to sort of assume that people generally agree that design is important overall. But when we think about design in other similar fields like web design or mobile app design, compared to voice design, uh, what kinds of things are different about that voice experience that uh, make it a little bit more difficult or challenging perhaps? Yeah, I saw some research uh, recently that seemed to indicate that when things go wrong with a voice experience, people are even less likely to come back than if um, they experience, uh, they have a bad experience in something more more visual medium, like a bad website. And that, if that's true, um, it might be partially because voice is very emotional for us. Um, voice is intimate. It's the way we communicate. It's something that sets us apart from other animals. We carry a lot of emotional content. 
different when we speak to one another. I mean, if you think about the great speech makers that we know, like Martin Luther King Jr., why did he give a speech as opposed to writing it down and distributing it? Um, voice is very important. So that might be one aspect of, of why making sure it's a good experience is so important. And of course, as you said, I think there's good buy-in when you're doing something like designing a website. You, If you are a company, you would hire a professional designer to do the best job possible. And what we're really trying to promote in terms of voice or conversational design is a similar thing. Um, there is a discipline and best practices, and we want everyone to recognize that it is a skill set, and if you take advantage of that, you can really do great things with voice. So with the emotional elements, it's more than just the fact that uh, it's a voice to voice interaction. There's something deeper internally you're saying with, with the human psyche. Can you go into that a little more? Yeah, it's just something, um, you know, one thing I think about is if uh, I send an email to somebody or someone sends an email to me, I often have trouble understanding their tone, um, you know, like, are they mad at me? Uh, is what's going on here? Um, because the words we say are only a small part of, of that message. So when we communicate with voice, um, we just, it carries so much meaning. And so we have to be very deliberate with our designs. Um, it's also related to just how conversational mechanics work. We all know how to talk. We've all been doing it from a young age, but that doesn't necessarily know mean we know how to craft these experiences in a way that users will be able to be successful with. Um, so we have to spend time thinking about conversational rules when we're building these. All right. So yeah, that's uh, one thing I think we mentioned earlier before we were, when we were talking a little bit before the show was about people might not necessarily be thinking about design when they're building these things. Uh, they might think about it a little bit, but not explicitly set out and do a design process. What are a couple of examples of poor design that you see commonly repeated throughout the, the industry? Yeah, there's definitely a few things that I, I see very frequently. Um, one of them, I think the most common that can lead you um, into trouble is not to make it really explicit about what the user can or, or can't say. And that doesn't mean you list off, you know, 20 <laughs> menu items, but you have to be very thoughtful in the way you craft uh, your prompt, what the system can say. Um, Sometimes what I see is you might have an action that can, uh, the user can ask for different pieces of information. Once you've presented that information, sometimes I'll see actions that have nothing happen afterwards. It's just kind of sitting there. Um, or it might say something extremely general, like, what now? Um, and the user is left thinking, well, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea what I can do here. Because a trap we often fall into is when we design or develop these, we become so familiar with the content that it seems obvious, glaringly obvious what the user could do, but it really isn't. So we have to be more deliberate about that. Um, and another really common one I see is people uh, making things that overwhelm the user with too much information. We're used to often like a mobile app kind of situation where you might have a list of flight times or something, and it's easy to put it in a table and let the user browse. But our audio capabilities are much more limited. It's a, you know, a linear channel that we can't go back and forth with. So we don't want to overwhelm the user with too much. We see this a lot, actually, in lots of types of design where you're so familiar with the content or the experience that you have trouble fitting yourself into kind of the, the role or personas of the people that are actually using it. 
Exactly. And even, you know, I've been designing these for a long time and I still fall into the same trap myself. I mean, none of us are immune to that. So it's always important to step back and realize you've got to take into account real user behavior. Yeah. And I think, uh, again, the emotion piece pays, plays into this as well, where we are so familiar with it. We don't consider all the emotional states that people might be in. Uh, I watch my daughter who's three, she uses these experiences and sometimes the only way that I can really describe it is she can be uh, completely elated one moment and feel totally dejected the next minute when it doesn't (laughs) understand her. And I assume adults have the same emotional uh, responses, just maybe at a more restrained level. (laughs) Exactly. Um, All right. So if we're talking about design as a key part of our apps, like what kinds of things can people do to start learning more about it or, or what do they need to do to take hold of design inside of their apps instead of just going off and coding? Well, I think the first uh, key is uh, acknowledging that you have a problem. No, but seriously, it, just just <laughs> acknowledging the fact that, hey, I want to build one of these things, whether you're a product manager, biz dev, developer, realizing that, okay, I know I need to spend some time on design. To me, that's like a huge win right there. So you're ready to go. Um, there's a lot of ways to learn about this stuff. Um, for example, Google has a website called actions.google.com slash design, which has a ton of great best practices. Um, um, I, of course, will make a plug for my book, Designing Voice User Interfaces from O'Reilly, a lot of stuff in there. But in addition to that, I encourage people to go to meetups if you have one in your area. There's tons of really great podcasts right now in the voice space, lots of people blogging about it. Um, so lots to read up on. But to me, the most important thing is to start making stuff. Um, and you don't have to be able to code to do that. We can maybe get into some more specifics about designing things like using sample dialogues and things like that. But anyone can get started creating one of these things. And the best way to learn is just to do it and test it and do it and test it and really get familiar with things. I think that's good news for a lot of people, including myself, because that's really what started it for me was I just went out and looked at the website docs and in an hour I had something working and then I quickly realized how bad the design was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So after I built the first experience uh, in a few months later, here I am trying to put together a podcast specifically on design and I learned by doing, I learned by meetups, podcasts as well, like everything you listed. So that's a piece of good news for anybody who's listening, realizing that this isn't like something that you have to go and get a four-year degree in specifically to be effective at it. Right. It's something that um, anyone can apply these principles to to get started building prototypes, things like that. I think if you're if you're making something, you know, you're a company that really wants to invest in voice. Um, I would strongly recommend hiring somebody with this skill set um, who who's very experienced and really knows the space. But anybody can apply the principles to start with. So let's say you're already developing some things. Maybe you've built your little action or Alexa skill, whatever it is that you've worked on. Uh, What kinds of things should people consider when they're trying to improve what they're doing? So if you've already developed and deployed an action, let's say, um, so some questions to ask yourself are, what do you know about its performance in the wild? Um, Are you looking at the stats and the logs? Are you looking to see where there are fallback intents, uh, fallbacks happening where 
once the user said or typed something and it was not understood? Are you looking at the drop-off rate? Where are they dropping out of your conversation and trying to figure out why that is? Um, but in addition to just looking at that cold, hard data, um, I think it's really important to do user testing. And I know some people may be scared off by that and think it has to be this big, complex thing with a usability lab with a two-way mirror and all that. But it really doesn't. Um, you can sit down with with friends and family even um, and have them try it out. And the hardest part is just to let them do it without interrupting and saying, oh, but you should say, you know, <laughs> just hold back, watch them interact, watch them fail. And it will be incredibly enlightening and informative. And the best news is you can use that to improve. So always bring in some real people to, to see how it, how it works. Yeah, I think we have a, a little bit more I'd like to talk about on user testing, maybe in just a moment. Um, but I feel like if you're running user testing and everybody makes it through the test without any issues, you probably aren't doing it right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that'd be pretty tough. At least that's my lesson from user testing with web applications. Like mm. people should actually struggle at some point or you're not testing the right things. So we're looking at these things. Okay, so what can I learn? How can I improve? We've got the different uh, things like books and, and website podcasts, things to help educate yourself. Um, there's actually courses and things as well in some various formats. But uh, is then taking a look at analytics and logs and information that's available to you to try to improve what you've already built or, or do some additional testing. So those are the things that you kind of do in the moment to improve yourself or your app. But if we're starting from scratch, I want to know a bit about what does a design process look like when you're by yourself, perhaps building your own app, or if you're in a bigger team that maybe has people who are focused purely on the design side and some people purely focused on the development side, maybe can you give us an idea of what it looks like to design something with, uh, or design a voice experience, thinking through the design early on as well as prototyping, building, and so on. Yeah, so the first thing I recommend everyone start with in any role is what we call sample dialogues. And that um, link to the Google best practices has some examples. But essentially, a sample dialogue is a potential path a user could have with your voice experience. And you can think of it like a film script. So you would literally write, you know, Google says, hi, welcome to my TV trivia app. Would you like to play game of the day? question mark. And then it's user colon. Yes, I would. And then it's, you know, Google. Great. Let's get to the first question. And you literally write these potential back and forths in script format. So a few notes about that. Obviously, you can use anything you want to write it. You can write it by hand. You could use a text editor. It doesn't matter. Um, but Think about writing the actual words. Don't, don't kind of skip over and say some stuff would happen here. Write the whole thing, including even the invocation, like, hey, Google, talk to my trivia. Um, the other aspect is to think about content. You want to write some, quote, happy paths where things go really well, but you also want to spend some time thinking about what happens when things go off track? Because they will. You know, with, with speech recognition, we don't always get it right, or maybe you don't understand their intent. So spend time on that. And finally, it's not the same as a flow. So when you're writing your, um, your sample dialogue, don't start branching and writing every possible thing in one sample dialogue. One sample dialogue is one path, and you can make multiple ones. Once you've written your sample dialogue, say it out loud. You may feel silly, but it really, even that step alone will showcase some problems. And finally, if you can get a coworker, a friend, 
your spouse, <laughs> anybody to be the user, you'll even learn more from that as well. I've asked my wife before to do this and it was kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> she was open to it, but we I've found I probably should ask other people. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. So, but it does matter like in, in the process of understanding who you talk to, what they're bringing to the table. Some people will try to be the assistant or some people try to be the user that you want them to be instead of the, the process mm-hmm. of being in the moment. Right. right. So that, like uh, something that I have heard people do is they make sure that when they're starting this um, role play or, or a dialogue reading that they inject the moment with a scenario, right? If you're running home after work and you're trying to turn your lights on and do some other task, like make sure you paint that picture in the person's mind. Yeah, that's a great idea. Try and get them into the moment as much as you possibly can to simulate what would happen in the wild. Yeah, and I think the same is true with yourself when you're doing the initial design yourself. You just, what are people thinking? What's their emotional? If we go back to the emotion state, like, how are they feeling right now? Are they happy? Are they frustrated? Do we need to get through this quickly? Can people go back and forth a few times? Right. And, and even physically, for example, if you're testing out a sample dialogue that you intend to be in the kitchen, like you're making a recipe one or something, I would recommend actually going in the kitchen and standing where you think you would stand and, and all those things, because there's some subtle things about even the physical proximity that can influence the way your sample dialogue might play out. That makes a lot of sense. I've seen also where things like my wife will be holding a child and she, <laughs> this is normal right now, at least in our stage of life. And it's a lot easier for her to do some things via voice at those, in those moments. And it can be, uh, the, it's sometimes it's the smart home stuff, um, setting the thermostat, whatever it is, or the weather basic questions that uh, come up versus your phone. But it's, it seemed also really important when she told me why she might still use her phone to do something. She might still want to look up the weather on her phone because she gets to see the forecast more quickly. Um, sometimes that means it's worth changing, uh, from voice to a screen and putting the kid down or whatever she has to do in that moment. So, the, the design process that you go through seems to need to have all of the real world cases that you can think of as part of your consideration. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I think that's just one of the fundamental principles of user research and user experience um, is you want to listen to the user um, because if they're telling you, Hey, I want to get the weather on my phone, for example, you can't say, Oh, but it'll be faster via voice or you'll like it better. No, you have to listen to, it doesn't matter, you know, if you think it's faster or better, listen to what they're saying and try to truly understand their patterns. Um, because if you ignore that, it doesn't matter how cool or interesting or great your, your feature is. If somebody's not going to use it, it doesn't matter. We've kind of gone past process into validation of that, which I think is great because it's kind of the next place I wanted to go anyways. So we've talked a little bit about doing these sample dialogues with some people. What are some other things that you can do to validate the design that you have? So 
after sample dialogues, the next phase is usually some kind of flow diagram. And this can be simple or complex depending on how, you know, simple or complex your conversation is, how open-ended it is, things like that. But most people find it a good idea and helpful to do some sketching of a flow where it goes from one turn of the conversation to the next, because this will really help you plan out what are the pieces? The other thing this can do is force you to realize where, for example, you might need to um, hit a data point, you know, go to the back end for information. Uh, at what point do you need to uh, validate something the user said? It'll help you with some of those steps. So once you've got all those things ready, you can start building a prototype. Now, if you're somebody who, let's say you're a designer and you um, don't yet have a developer and you want to just get things started, you can use tools like Google's Dialogflow to build one of these prototypes without having to code. Um, you can look at some of the things like templates or just dialogue flow in general. And you can have a fairly you know, simple version that you can then play around with and actually speak to. Even if you don't have a Google Home device, for example, you can do it in the web browser itself. So start playing around, even if you've only got a few turns of the conversation built, and really get a feel for what it sounds like. Dialogflow is, is a great tool. Obviously, it's part of the Google ecosystem, so it works very well with actions on Google, but also has a lot of into other integrations as well uh, for different platforms. Um, so we've, we've built this prototype. We're trying to validate some stuff, even if it's not coded. We get to the point where uh, we're actually seeing our ideas that we thought were awesome start to fail in front of us with real world users. So what kinds of things do we do to iterate and improve those designs? Exactly. So it can be very painful to watch your design fall under scrutiny and people are not saying what you expected them to say and you're thinking, but if they just said this one thing, it would be great. Um, but that's just part of it. That's just part of life when you're creating one of these things. And Basically, in the beginning, I think it's great to, to fail quickly. Um, so as soon as you have sort of maybe your happy path uh, figured out, try it out. Uh, I would recommend not waiting till the end. Like don't build a huge complex flow and then go out there and test it and realize that there's three fundamental things up front that you wish you'd done differently. So you can test pieces at a time. You can do Wizard of Oz testing, meaning not everything has to be built out. You can fake certain parts. So there are ways you can do this kind of testing to test pieces so that you don't end up going too deep into some path that turns out not to be um, a good one for the user. So it sounds like with a lot of these things, a lot of these different tools and ideas, we want to get to the design and validation fast. We don't want to be building a bunch of things, spending lots of time trying to make it all work in code and then find out that things are wrong. So fail fast from design side, not from implementation side. Exactly. I always tell people, you know, design is an investment up front. It does take time, but it'll be less time and also less expensive than if you have to rip out your code and start over. And I think one other point to that effect is a lot of times you'll build your sample dialogues, your flows, you'll have worked through them and they, they seem great. And then halfway through the development of the real thing, uh, the developer will suddenly realize, oh, geez, you know, this API I was planning on using doesn't work the way I thought. I can't get this certain piece of information. And so you have to go back to the design drawing board at that point and say, hey, we had a misunderstanding um, of, or we, you know, we were missing some information about how this would play out. So go back to the sample dialogue at that point and say, we're going to rework it now that we have this new information. Um, and then you can tweak the, the code after that. 
All right. So I think we've got a couple of, I got a couple of specific questions kind of round out to the Q and a section of the episode. And so we've been talking about design in lots of different ways, but are there things about design that may apply in only certain cases and not others? I would say one big consideration there is for multimodal. So sometimes you might be designing um, for something like Google Home, which is voice only, but you have to be thinking about the experience on other surfaces as well, especially that um, the first Google smart screen just came out. And of course, there's the Google Assistant on your mobile app. Um, and although it would be nice to have the exact same design for all those different surfaces, they do differ a little bit. Um, again, we have some best practices on our website, but uh, you know, it's, it's very intuitive to, I think, realize that looking at something on the screen is not identical to just hearing it. So you have to think about, well, how is this going to look and feel on my uh, smart screen? How's it going to look and feel on my mobile phone? For example, we might read out a prompt, um, but we might have display text on the screen that's different, that's shorter, because we don't want to just verbatim put the exact same text. So thinking about multimodal, you have to put on your different hats for the different um, surfaces and make sure you're bringing that into your design consideration. All right. So if I'm thinking about a new app and I'm trying to think through the process, is this something that I should go off and do by myself or do I need to hire help or bring in a new team member? How, how should I be thinking about, I guess, resourcing my design? I, I think, and even from my own experience, I used to be a software engineer, I think it's hard to wear the designer and the developer hat at the same time. I know a lot of people who are working on their own to develop these kind of have to, but um, if you're a company, my recommendation is that you invest in, in both um, and you don't say, well, we're going to wait and hire a writer or a buoy designer at the end and they're going to polish it up. You're going to have, uh, it's, it's going to end up being a lot harder and more expensive that way. So... If you can, I would put a design resource on the project right up front to work in tandem with your developer, even if that person has to be a consultant or something like that. Uh, but finding someone with that skill set, if you want to have a truly great experience, is really essential. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm trying to be both, and that's, it's, it's hard to wear both hats, uh, as you say. I think that's a really good point. And even if you do have the ability to be on both sides. I think you kind of have to focus on one or the other at any given moment. Trying to flip back and forth is probably not going to serve you well. Exactly. I mean, you could be, I think there are people who could be skilled in both, but as you say, switching back and forth is difficult because you're usually more focused on one or the other. Well, but if you're a single developer building this all by yourself, because a lot of these things are built as hobby side projects for, for the personal assistance, at least, um, many of the actions and skills out there are people just tinkering. So is it possible for them to still try and do that if they just stop and do enough design up front? Is that going to give them a, a better experience? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to discourage anyone who's working on their own. It's not like I would say, oh, you, you can't do it unless you hire a, a professional designer. Um, because again, I think having the awareness that this design is important and spending time on those design tasks up front. And then again, even if you're working solo, as long as you can bring someone in to sort of help you do maybe some table reads with your sample dialogues, maybe be a user and watch them uh, use your system, maybe weigh in and give you feedback. I think it's just great always to have another set of of eyes, even if it's not a professional designer, to really help you see where things um, need improving. So maybe an idea is to 
go to those meetups, find a few people who are like you and maybe be that person for somebody else. And they can be that what you need in return. And you can maybe network a little bit and help each other out. That is a great idea. In fact, now I'm thinking of these speed action user testing sessions at a meetup where you could each sit at a table and test each other's action and move on to the next one and test like 10 actions in one and get, get feedback. That's a really good idea. Uh, Somebody better capture that and do it. (laughs) Um, All right. So something I see in web applications occasionally is a designer will iterate and iterate and iterate. And it's almost like they over engineer or over design, I should say, uh, the experience. Is that something you can do as well with voice? I definitely think so. I think any designers have this tendency. I don't know if it's worse in voice design or not, but we have a tendency to try and design for or the most elegant solution, all the edge cases, everything. We want it to be wonderful, 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 which of course is a great goal to strive towards. But then what happens is sometimes when we sit down with whoever's going to develop it and we realize, gee, that's not going to be possible or, well, that's possible, but it will take me six months. To me, the best designers are those who are comfortable living in the world of technical constraints where, sure, we want the the best design possible, but we also want our design to make it out there in the real world. So keeping in mind not everything is possible build in the real world i think is the best way to get things done yeah so you want to design you want to do your due diligence as much as possible but you don't want to spend all of your time i guess that's the opposite problem right no design or too much design you know you got to find the happy path in the middle right you don't want to die on a hill of one prompt because it'll take two months to to be built so if there's one thing you could recommend to people that is the most important design concept you know, what would it be? My most important one that I like to tell people is to design for how people actually talk, not how you want them to talk. And by that, I mean, again, you may design some really cool, happy path, great user experience with voice, but when you sit it down in front of people, you'll be shocked to find that there are, a hundred different ways to say something like I have abdominal pain (laughs) and you don't know that up front and you can't expect your users to adapt. The whole beauty of voice is that we want to be able to meet people where they are at. And so you need to remember that they're going to say things in ways you didn't expect and design for that. And I think that also kind of captures into what we were describing at the very beginning. It's this intimate experience. It's emotionally driven a bit and the conversation mechanics all play into design for how people actually communicate. I think that's a really good summation of many things. All right. So we're to the final section here. We call uh, this the endpoint detection. For those of you who like uh, voice design a little bit, you recognize that term perhaps, but uh, It's basically the part of the show where we recap, summarize a few things and get you on your way. So just to kind of step back for the moment, what's the top takeaway that that you have for us, Kathy? Yeah, and just by the way, I love the the term for this section (laughs) in point detection um, for us voice nerds. So the top takeaway in my mind is to really get the message out that design is not just like the frosting on the cake. It's like part of the cake batter. Um, It's just integral to the entire experience. So if you just, if you skim over the design, if you ignore the design, if you don't spend time on it, your voice experience will suffer. And what that means is that your users won't use it, they won't come back, and it won't succeed. 
So I want a couple of questions just for you that are a bit off the topic that are just general questions I'm asking all guests. Um, can you give us uh, one or two interesting voice apps you've used recently? So one I just discovered today is called Mix Labs, um, and you can use it on uh, Google Assistant, say, talk to Mix Labs. And it's this fun little uh, action where you can create music. So you can say things like, add a funky bass line, and it will start that track. And then you can say, you know, add a tuba, and it will lay that over. And it's just kind of a neat, interactive way to experiment, experiment with music. Um, so that was one specific one. But generally speaking, I'm finding more delight in asking questions that are personal, for example, if I was leaving on a trip last week and I was eating breakfast and I said, you know, okay, Google, is my flight on time? And it came back right away and said, no, your flight is delayed. And um, finding out that it can do things like that has, has been a lot of fun. I also did that, I think, because <laughs> it was, everybody was delayed because we were at the conference last week, uh, the Voice Summit, and yeah, everybody's flight seemed to be delayed. Totally. And, if you had your Google account set up, Google knew. <laughs> uh, so you've mentioned a couple of resources, but what's the, the name of your book and where can people find that? So the book is from O'Reilly Media and it's called Designing Voice User Interfaces and you can get it on Amazon. I'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes as well as the actions on Google design guide, which is a fantastic resource as well. And then finally, how can people learn a little bit more about you and your work? You can go to my professional website, kathypearl.com. Um, and I'm also active on Twitter. My handle is cpearl42. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up here. I want to thank you for coming today, Kathy. It's been a great episode. This is really good core information for people to help solidify the idea how essential design is. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening today. You can find the show notes at designforvoice.com and you can also get links to subscribe in your favorite podcast player. 